Today we're going to continue our study through the book of Philippians in the New Testament of the Bible. There are 66 books of the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. The Bible was written by approximately 40 different writers over the span of about 1,500 years. And one of those writers is none other than who we call the Apostle Paul. Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, was a jealous Jew who believed that if you followed Jesus, you were blaspheming God. He killed Christians until one day he had a personal encounter, and that day everything changed. This book that we are going to look at today is one of the writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul became a leader in the early church and was thought to be the most significant Christian outside of Jesus Christ himself. The message of Paul can be summed up by his preaching of the death, resurrection, and the lordship of Jesus Christ. He made it clear that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way that secures eternal salvation. Today we are going to look at one of the books he wrote. It is called Philippians. Everyone say Philippians. Yeah, you got to kind of say it with some attitude because he wrote this book to a church that he helped to start and he wanted to help mature them in their Christian faith. Two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 1, and we learned that we can have joy that exceeds all current expectations and struggles. The Apostle Paul is writing this book while he is locked up in prison, not accomplishing what he originally had planned and set out to do. Paul wanted to preach in Rome, and that would be equivalent to you packing out Madison Square Center in New York for your concert that you're leading. That is what Paul wanted to do, and while he is in prison, he is not able to do what he wanted to do. Paul's goal was to preach in Rome, and instead, Paul was in prison. In Rome, Paul is writing this book while being tied to a prison guard. And, and the great thing about this that you probably haven't looked at it this way is the average letter that was written in those days was only 200 words long. And I don't know if you've ever read any of the New Testament, but I'm pretty sure it's more than 200 words long. And so the, the great thing about this was that whenever Paul was in prison, he actually had time to sit down and write. If he had been so busy doing all the things that he had planned to do, he never would have had the time to sit down and write more than 200 words. In fact, most of his letters are between 1,500 and 2,000 words. And that alone is a miracle because they had to write on this thing called papyrus. That's very hard to write on. Um, but some of you may not even know this, but Paul actually didn't even write what he wrote. Oh, now I'm confusing you a little bit, saying Apostle Paul wrote it. Paul didn't write it because Paul was in prison. He had a scribe. Paul didn't know how to write on papyrus. They would not have given Paul the tools necessary to write while he was in maximum security. So he would translate the, to the person. That person would then write it down. And then Paul would go back and read it and sign his name at the bottom of it to verify, yes, everything in this letter was written by me. If you're in maximum security, are they going to give you tools to bail yourself out? Just something to think about. It was through all of these hurdles that Paul kept jumping over. He wrote to the church of Philippi that have joy in all circumstances. 
Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. The only way you can get through this life on this side of heaven is to get your focus put on Jesus. That was week one. Last week we talked in Philippians chapter two, and it boiled down to one word. Does anybody remember what that one word was? I should give bonus points if we had bonus points that mattered. What was the one word? Humility. What was the one word? Good job. Way to go, Terrence. You're always thinking ahead. If we're going to be mature followers of Christ, we've got to learn how to be humble. We can't think of ourselves more highly than what we should. We need to lift others up and encourage. And in fact, the, the, the boiled, it kind of came down to the way up is down. And we summarize all of last week's message by uh, basically saying this. When you put others before us, We take on the nature of Jesus. As this happens, God will exalt his children, which exalt means to take up higher, uh, over the top. So God will exalt his children over the top, and there they can shine their light so people can see Jesus in them. It was a, a very applicable message, broken down chunk of Scripture by chunk of Scripture. And in one of those chunks of Scripture, we looked at what it was that Jesus actually gave up coming from heaven to earth. And there is significance in knowing what Jesus gave up. If you, if you knew your daughter only had one piece of candy left, you're truly a good father. Are you going to take that last piece of candy? No. But if you knew she had a whole bag of candy, taking one or two isn't going to matter to Abigail. Because she'll give you all of them until it's the last one. And then she'll grudgingly give you that last one. But she's a good kid. She'll do it. If if you understand what Jesus gave up, it places a higher value on what Jesus did for you. Today, Easter Sunday, 2023, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate what he did for us. We place a higher value on him because of who he is. Jesus had a good thing going on in heaven. Anyone agree with that? Yeah. But he chose to give it all up. All that heaven had to offer and come as a servant so that you and I could have eternal life. That he gave up his last piece. And that was his life. And in that, it separated this religion from any other religion because when Jesus died three days later, appeared conquering the grave, hell, death, and sin for all of mankind. We are going to look at Philippians chapter 3 today, but we're only going to look at the first half of it, and we're going to fly a mile high. So let's look in your outline as Adrienne reads Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Apostle Paul begins with an exhortation to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to note that his rejoicing was not found in his circumstances. As we learned last week, happiness is here because of what word? Luck. Whenever you're happy, it's only because of luck. So that is not the joy or happiness that Paul is talking about. He is saying there is a joy that you can have not relating to happiness. He was rejoicing in the Lord. This shows us that we cannot focus on ourselves or our problems, but we shift our focus and we put it on Jesus. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can rejoice in the Lord. Say rejoice in the Lord. 
Rejoice in the Lord, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures, and we can rejoice in him and not in our situation. Then we continue to read uh, part B of this first verse. Uh-oh. To write the same, did you turn it off? To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul says, I am writing the same things to you. Here we have Paul who started this church 10 years previous in Philippi. He is writing a letter to this church. And just as you are sitting in this service today, they would have sat in something similar. But their service would have gone four, five, or six hours, and I'm only going to keep you three. So we're good, right? You can thank me later for that. Okay, okay, all right. But, but Paul is preaching to them on how to live a mature Christian life. He is teaching them about living a life focused on Jesus, not on your circumstances. Paul is putting to writing what he talked about 10 years earlier. You both, you, you and I both know that, that we forget things. Sometimes we forget things. Sometimes we have to be reminded of the same thing over and over. Paul was in a, in a service just like this 10 years previous, talking to the church of Philippi, and 10 years later in prison, he says, I got to remind them what we talked about. There was a famous basketball coach named John Wooten, one of the most winning college basketball coaches of all times. During the practice season, his team was having a hard time making shots. He said, the, the, the rhythm of our team is off. And they went to practice on Wednesday, practice on Thursday. When it came to Friday, everyone showed up to practice. He said, hold on, guys. Go home. Don't think about basketball all weekend long. I want you to come back on Monday, and we're going to talk about this. So they all leave, not sure what's going on. He's never called off practice before, so they show up Monday morning, and in his hand, John Wooten, one of the greatest, most winning basketball coaches of all time, as all the players come in, they find their seats, he walks out, and in his hand, he has a basketball, and he says, this is a basketball. With this ball, you dribble, you pass, and you put this ball in that hoop. I think we have forgotten what the purpose of this ball is. And then he goes on to begin to work back to the fundamentals, the basics of how to play basketball. You dribble the ball this way with the tips of your fingers, not the palm. You step this way. You pass this way. You bend your elbow this way. He went back to the basics of how to shoot the ball because we all have to come to a place where we say, I got to get back to the basics of what this is supposed to look like. I've been in my marriage now for 14 years, and I have forgotten what a good marriage was supposed to look like so I got to get back to the basics I got to date my spouse I got to whatever you want me to do I got to say stuff like that to your spouse you've got to put things in motion to make everything back to the basics of what a good marriage looks like or maybe it's your career you got to say hey my career is in my hands it is overwhelming me my family has been separated from me because I put too much time in my career I am telling you today get back to the basics this is what what my career looks like. I'm going to devote this much time. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And anything outside of this, the answer is no. And this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us about our spiritual life. It's time we get back to the basics. And what are some of those 
basics, the fundamentals that we can live by. In the first two chapters of Philippians, he is teaching us mainly about joy and how to have joy in all circumstances. But in chapter 3, just this first little part, something gets off here. And, and let's read. Let's see if your mic works now. Look out for there the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul starts giving a warning to the church in Philippi about how to stay in joy. He says three times, look out. Or another translation says, beware. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is telling us we need to be aware of different things that come against our lives that try to steal the joy that God has set before us. So very practically, how can we stay in joy? Let's answer the first, Blake, in your your outline. Uh, The big idea, number one, that Paul is trying to tell us, uh, say, look out for, write this down. It'll be on the screens behind us, joy killers. Look out for joy killers. Killers. There is always someone who will try to be a joy, what's the word, a buzzkill or something, a a joy killer. You you can have the best day of your life floating on cloud nine, and all of a sudden a friend or someone sends you a text, and it just steals the joy out of you. Look out for joy killers. So how can we uh, put ourselves in a position to understand where joy killers are at? How do we look out for those? Write down number one. We got some answers here. Joy must be guarded. Write down joy must be guarded. Joy is more of what's going on the inside rather than what is around you. Joy is not an automatic process. Rather, it is a learned behavior. Let me say it this way to spiritualize what joy is. Your joy is a byproduct of your relationship with God. Let that thought sink in for a moment. Is my relationship with God in a place where I can continually have joy? If not, maybe there's something missing in me. The second way we stay in joy, joy must be, write down number two, joy must be genuine. Let me explain this one. There's a group of people called the Judaizers who Paul is referring to in verse 2 of what we just read. They were people who mixed the grace of Jesus with the law of the Old Testament. They believed you needed both to be right with God. And that's who Paul is saying, beware, look out for those dogs. Beware, look out for people who are so legalistic. This was... Uh, in our our way of saying things, a a mic drop moment for the Apostle Paul, um, or if you're being real about it, it was a huge insult to who he was talking about. Uh, The Greek word for dog in this text is kinois, which is described as a scavenger or a pack of coyotes. Paul is teaching us there will be a legalistic gospel that will be preached to you, and that is not who Jesus is. Legalism is like the pack of scavengers who try to separate you from the group, and then they pounce on you. The picture of what that image looks like is a coyote separating the lamb and from, from the pack, and when the coyote gets the lamb separated from the pack, the rest of the coyote clan 
takes out the lamb. Jesus is a genuine God, not a legalistic God. So when you hear legalism or religion, you look at it and think, man, Paul was talking to us and saying, look out for the scavengers who try to tell us that Jesus is legalistic. Something to think about. Let's keep reading what Paul wrote in chapter 3, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The big idea that Paul wants us to get from here, number two, big idea number two, look in for pride. Here's what you need to get from this. Write down right below. Number one, where is my faith found? I believe in something. I may or may not know what it is, but I I know there's more to this life than just to suck air and breathe and survive and be a good person. If I lost everything tomorrow, would I still rejoice in the Lord? How many times do we look at ourselves and start thinking more highly than what we ought? Paul is saying to us, I had so much, I had done so many great things. And I I don't think there's a person in here that could argue the fact that Paul was pretty impressive. And whenever he analyzed his own life, he says, everything I've done pales in comparison to the worth of making Jesus Christ my Lord. When you look at your own life, you say, I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made person. I'm sorry, but your next breath is held by someone a lot more powerful, a lot more higher than you are. And we've got to keep ourselves in perspective. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. You can achieve all these great things. Paul was, man, he was Pope of the Slope. Man, this guy was incredible. And he says, if you don't make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, no matter how great, no matter how far, no matter how wide, no matter how much awesomeness you think you are, it pales in comparison to the worth of making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. I was sitting uh, one Sunday evening. We'd had five services that Sunday at our church. I was exhausted. And I received a phone call um, about 9.30 that night, and it was from a church member, and she asked me if I could go to the hospital and, and meet a family member, and that just um, a few minutes prior to that, she'd had an accident, and um, I went to the hospital and saw her laying there, barely struggling to be alive. And I began to ask her the questions that I could ask her. And she had never given her life to Jesus. 
And as we're, as she's laying there, I begin to talk to her and tell her about who Jesus is, knowing I didn't have much time. And at the very end, I said, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's now or never. Because in, if things don't turn around, you're, you'll be in hell in, in an hour or two. And she looked at me, and, and she, she, with tears coming down her face, she said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know to waste my life this way. And we prayed for her. She gave her life to Jesus. As she said amen, she passed. You learn real quick. Things of this earth don't matter as much as what they think. Because whenever she woke up that morning, she was flying high. The day was good. The day was great. She had no idea when she was going to be driving to the grocery store, she was going to be in a car accident. And that fast. And, and, and Paul is saying, that that's what matters. The life of living with Jesus as the focus. She had a last-minute chance. Not everyone gets that fortunate. I need you to understand something. I cannot let myself get in the way of coming to the ultimate conclusion. I must have Jesus in my life. I cannot let pride, and that's what Paul is saying, pride was stopping me from everything. I cannot let pride stop me from saying, Jesus, I need you. Paul had all the same thoughts, and he is teaching us. I've got to keep my focus on Jesus. Let me summarize where we're at, and we've got just a little bit more. Paul is showing us that there are aspects of our lives that will destroy our joy. We need to guard against those things. And he shows us how pride can stop us from entering that place when we think of ourselves more highly than what we ought to. And, and we're going to look now at the, the last little bit of this chapter, but uh, if, if you're able to, I'm going to stop after this verse 11, and I'm going to invite you to come back next week because um, we're going to talk next week about the vision and plan that God has for your life, and it's going to tie right into where we're going. So today's part one, next week's part two. So if you can come back, I would absolutely love it. Um, it's going to be beneficial to your spiritual life, your marriage, your family. It, it's, it's going to be good, but let, let me share a story with you real quick. This is a true story. Back when the telegraph was the fastest method of long-distance communication, a young man applied for a job as a Morse code operator. You know the Morse code? Dee -dee 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 -dee. Okay. Uh, answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the office address that was listed on the paper. When he arrived, he entered a large, uh, busy office filled with noise and clatter, including the sound of the telegraph in the background. A sign on the receptionist counter instructed job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. The young man filled out this form and sat down with the, with the seven other applicants in the waiting room. After a few minutes, the young man's ears perked up. He quickly stood up, crossed the room to the door, and went into the inner office, and he just walked right on in. The other applicants um, were not really sure what was going on, and they began to talk amongst themselves like, this person just disqualified himself for this job because he didn't do as the instruction stated because it said, wait until you are summoned. 
Within a, a few minutes, the employer escorted the young man out of the office and told the remaining seven the job position had been filled. They were shocked and they said, why was the last person who got here the last person to arrive? How come he got the job? This isn't fair. We didn't even get a chance for the interview. The employer responded, the last several minutes while you all have been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking. If you understand me, come back here. The job is yours. (laughs) The last man who came in understood the message of the telegraph Morse code that they were using in the back room. There is a message here that Paul is trying to relay to us. Some of you will pick it up, some of you won't. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to try to do my very best to take the Morse code, take the guessing out of it, and make it as simple as possible for you to understand. But let's look at our outline and read the three final scriptures that we're going to look at today. And be found in him, not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Big idea that Paul's teaching us here. Number three, big idea three, look up to Jesus. The story of Easter is shared in these verses. If you want to have internal joy, a joy that is above your situation, if you want to have peace, if you want to have hope, if you want to have purpose, if you want to have fulfillment, Paul shows us how, and it's very simple in your outline, summarizing the text that we just read. Number one, I choose to believe in Jesus. If, if, if you're going to begin to have an internal joy, the most important thing you do is believe Jesus and who he said he was. But that's not good enough because even Satan believes in Jesus. You have to, number two, say, I I choose to belong to Jesus. Write down that number two. I choose to belong. I surrender my life to his lordship. And then number three, I choose to write down, I choose to become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. I give my life to his wisdom and his guidance. As the boy who went for the telegraph job was able to accept a job because he heard what it was said and he acted on it. I want to give you the opportunity to act on what you've heard. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There are three types of people in this room. Those who have given their lives to Jesus and are living that out. The second type of people in here are those who have given their lives to Jesus but have allowed themselves to stray away from that relationship and what that relationship is supposed to look like. And then there are those in here who have never given your life to Jesus. Paul is telling us, I've achieved the highest of highest. There is no one greater than me, and all of it pales in comparison to making Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If you feel a tug on the inside of you, whenever I said that you've kind of pulled yourself away from God, or maybe you've never even made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you feel something on the inside of you telling you, like, man, I need to make that right, we want to give you that opportunity today. I'm going to ask everyone in here to say out loud a prayer with me. 
And if you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, if you say, man, I, I've just, I've pulled away. I, I shouldn't do that. I know I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I can't do it on my own. I want you to pray this prayer. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And you say, I don't really know what all this is about, but I'm willing because I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit inside of me doing something. I'm going to ask everyone to say this out loud. Every, every single person in here, and those who need this, I want you to mean it from your heart. Say this, Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you conquered death on the cross. Today, I confess you as my Lord. I give my life to you to be fully devoted, your disciple, in Jesus' name. Father God, right now, for every single person who just prayed that prayer, I ask that you draw them closer to you. Your word says that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So I pray that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us, that we encounter the hope of the ever-living God. So Holy Spirit, move in every person in this room today as we look back and thank you for the cross. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the power of the name and the word of who Jesus is. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, www.pathwaychurchok.com to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in, and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you, and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you, and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.